Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that recaps and overanalyzes the 1984 classic film, Ghostbusters. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we're here today to recap Minute number 12 with you. Let's get right into it. So on the previous episode of Minute 11, we ended off where Ray was leading Egon and Vankman towards the ghost of the Grey Lady in the basement of the New York Library. At 12 minutes, Ray creeps creeps closer towards the Grey Lady and yells, Get her! Before the Ghostbusters can jump on her, the Grey Lady transforms from the ghost of a sweet old Victorian librarian into a ghastly shaved gorilla-looking monster, scaring the Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters all scream and run backwards out of the library basement at 12 minutes, 9 seconds. The ghost that plays, the song that plays, is cleaning up the town by the busboys. The Ghostbusters run out of the front door of the New York library, followed by Roger Delacorte, who is asking them, Did you see it? Venkman tells him, We'll get back to you. At 12 minutes, 25 seconds, we are back on the Columbia campus. Vankman is teasing Ray by mockingly saying, Get her! Get her! Ray says, It was scientific. At 12 minutes, 40 seconds, Ray tells Vankman that they actually touched the etheric plane, that this is a huge moment for them. At 12 minutes, 45 seconds, Vankman tells Ray that this could be bigger than the microchip. Egon interrupts the two of them to say that according to the readings that he took while in the basement, they have a real chance of capturing and holding a ghost. At 12 minutes, 51 seconds, as Egon announces his findings, we see Vankman thinking hard on what Egon has just said. And at 12 minutes, 59 seconds, Venkman calls Egon Spangs and asks him if he's serious about catching a ghost. So that ends minute number 12 of the Ghostbusters. We started off in the basement, ended up on the Columbia or Weaver University campus as it is, with the confirmation that it would be possible to actually capture and wrangle a ghost. Get her. Get her. Get her. Yeah. I think this is one of the... Um I can't really think of too many other jump scares in the movie, mm-hmm. but this one is... One to beat. Yeah. It's, I mean, it really comes out of nowhere. It pulls the rug out from under you as an audience member because mm. you've been watching the gray lady and she's this very quiet Victorian era ghost sitting there and you you, you really don't know what she's going to do when they go And, and creepy. Literally, like, creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Just by herself. And then all of a sudden she turns into this cartoonish but frightening looking yeah. monster. I remember seeing this as a kid and being pretty spooked by it. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing that thing going Yeah, at me. Richard Edlund's effects house did an amazing job uh, in this first ghost covering the spectrum of scary to funny. Right. And brilliantly so. So this is actually the second Grey Lady they had created. The version that you see, the scary-looking version, there was a more scary version that uh, the team had deemed too scary for the movie. So what happened is Columbia took that model, and of course in Hollywood, you know, nothing ever goes away. Everything is recycled. And they used the original version for the Grey Lady in Fright Night, which came out a year later. No good. Yeah. So she shows up in Fright Night. What monster she is in there, I have no idea. I would assume maybe the vampire bat at the end. That Have you seen Fright Night? I have not, no. Dude, the original Fright Night's fantastic. I saw the remake. Actually, the remake was really good, too. I like yeah, the remake quite a lot. Bad. Starring the late uh, Anton Yelchin. That's right. Uh, and uh, I think Colin uh, Farrell was actually yeah. pretty good as the vampire. But the first one is, oh man, it's so good. It reminds me a lot of like the 1980s Blob movie mm-hmm. that came oh, out. God, yeah. Have you seen so that? Fun. I wish it, I it's, hadn't. It's like, it starts off kind of like cute and funny. And like Fright Night is this movie that's kind of like, oh, it's this funny little throwback. And, uh, you know, it's about this uh, boy who thinks he's a vampire. And then like the monster effects on it are like next level disgusting. And it really kind of like clashes with uh, some of the other uh, uh, themes of the movie. 
Uh, yeah. So it's I, I really like it. And like the blob is the same way. You're like, oh, this is a cute little remake. And then like, no, people are being dissolved on screen yeah. in front of you. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I think it's hilarious. It's I love it. So anyway, so there is another. Um, that would actually be a Fright Night would be a fun one to watch because it is kind of in the same vein, if you will, mm-hmm. as Ghostbusters, Monster Squad, The Frighteners, you know, like a comedic thing about a person fighting paranormal entities. Yeah, that'd be worth putting on the list. Which is a genre that needs to continue on. Absolutely. Through we, we need more of those. Absolutely. So, uh, the track that plays when they run out of the library is by the Busboys. The Busboys are an American rock and roll band that has tinges of R&B and soul music. They had songs on the soundtrack and appeared in the film 48 Hours and went on to actually open up for Eddie Murphy on his delirious comedy tour. In 1983, the Bus Boys made an appearance on Saturday Night Live, and Eddie Murphy even joined them for backup vocals. Cleaning Up the Town, which is the song off the Ghostbusters soundtrack that they're running out to, uh, actually was a pretty big hit. It came in at number 68 on the Billboard Top 100 charts in 1984. So It's a catchy tune. Yeah, I like it. it really well, it's funny because when I was growing up, I always thought it was the Stray Cats. Because it kind of has like that. a rockabilly yeah, sound to that. it, but uh, I didn't when I when I saw a picture of the Bus Boys, it, I didn't think it was them that would be playing the song, um, especially right. if they do a lot of like funk and R and B and soul music and stuff like that. Because it sounds like an old school like rock and roll, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the song. So for the longest time, I thought it was Brian Setzer that was singing. So whenever I finally like saw the Bus Boys and looked them up, I was like, oh no way, this completely him. changes everything. Yeah, yeah. so it's a know. catchy tune. Uh, all right, so now we cut to them back on the campus, and I think that this is single-handedly the most important part in all of Ghostbusters for a couple of reasons. Um, One, as I've said in previous minutes, one of the things I think really sells this movie is their believable friendship and their rapport with each other. And Peter walking along Ray and kind of picking, not picking on it, but, you know, poking and prodding and everything like that um, is very believable. Just their their candor and everything. And uh, that just really adds a lot of... uh, Authenticity. They kind of they're goofing around with each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friendly relationship between the two of them. He's like, get her, get her. And yeah, exactly. Saying like, oh, come on, it was science. And the, yeah, he's just looking at him like, you know, that that's uh, that's all Ray. He's kind of like the half man child, half scientist. Oh, you know, like a really smart guy who's probably his uh, um, kind of thirst for knowledge and uh, his uh, childlike uh, approach to things like that have taken him to where he is as a professor at a university. You know, yeah, doctor, doctor. Uh, Stance. Stance, thank you. So Ray mentions that they actually had contact with the etheric plane. Do you know anything about that? Uh, No. So the etheric plane is a term that was introduced, and I'm taking this from the Wikipedia entry on the etheric plane, into Theosophy by Charles Webster Leadbeater and Anne Besant to represent the subtle part of the lower plane of existence. It represents the fourth higher subplane of the physical plane, or a hyperplane, to to the lower three states, which would be solid, liquid, gaseous matter. The idea was later used by authors such as Alice Bailey, Rudolf Steiner, Walter, John Kleiner, and others. The term aether, and that's spelled A-E-T-H-E-R. Have you ever seen that used? No. Uh, It was adopted from ancient Greek philosophy and science into Victorian physics and used utilized by Madame Bolfoski to correspond with Akasha, the fifth element. So have you, you've you've heard of like the the elements, right? Fire, water, earth, you know, and the fire nation attacked and all that. There is a concept of fifth element, and I'm not talking about the Bruce Willis film. I'm talking about uh, uh, in China, they would often refer to it as the aether, and the Greeks would refer to it as the aether. I think in China, they also refer to the fifth element as wood, which is a little bit weird because it's kind of like not re- – it's a living thing, and you know, trees are alive, but it's also like a right. substance in the surface. So aether is also uh, a concept. It's like the void, so space, 
basically. Okay. Yeah. But Aether also has a spiritual representation. So what Ray is talking about here is like he's something beyond the physical world, the fire, water, earth, air, things that we can all touch that make up the world that we live in. The Aether would be this thing outside of it. So what he's saying here is like we've actually had contact okay. with the other thing. This is two planes of existence merging with each other here for something. So wow. that's just that's the research that Dan Aykroyd went into yeah, when he wrote see, all this stuff. Again, that's the kind of thing that like is dropped into this movie just to give it that, you know, authenticity. And when you pull that out a little bit further, I think I read somewhere that when he was writing Ghost Smashers originally, uh, he did a lot of research on quantum physics and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very hard concept to wrap your head around, but there's an idea in if you get to the really deep stages of quantum physics and you talk about uh, uh, causality and the fact that, like, you may roll a dice and it might come up like a four, but there's a version of you that rolled a, f- a six and a version of you that rolled a three and a two and a one, that there's all these different states of existence. And there might be one out there that is a spiritual existence as well. So in Ghostbusters, there's not a lot of religion in this movie. Like, the ghosts that we see don't necessarily come from, like, Christian theology. You know, like, there's not really a hell represented. There are other dimensions. We know that Gozer is a Sumerian deity, but the movie, I think what Dan Aykroyd's trying to open up here is the idea that these are not necessarily spiritual beings so much as they are beings that exist in a different parallel reality, that these two realities are bleeding into each other. So, anyway, this is an interesting concept. Yeah. And so, it's 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 spooky it's spiritual but it's also kind of sci-fi you know it's, yeah. they may not necessarily even be fighting ghosts so much as they are aliens from a parallel dimension so yeah. i know that's some weird <laughs> oh, stuff but yeah interesting yeah yeah so um, anyway so anyway egon catches up with him and says that uh you know according to his readings this wasn't a total loss right and the germination of the business of the ghostbusters is right here right there is i think it's the single-handedly the most important moment in all of ghostbusters mm-hmm. and it is the close-up of Peter right after Egon has said this. The camera is very close on him and it lingers on him a little too long while the other, but while Egon and Ray walk off. And that is the genesis of the Ghostbusters business coming into fruition. It right. is now an idea and it's just, it's an interesting moment. You just see Bill Murray standing there thinking, processing, and you know what's, you know, what's coming. So yeah. Yeah. The first place his mind goes to is how can I turn a penny on this yeah. idea? How so. can I monetize this, <laughs> this thing, this idea of someone else's. Yeah. And the first thing he goes to is ghost extermination, you know, and, yeah. and we see that, you know, it's, it's important that this kind of happens right before the scene we get to in a minute, which is when Dean Yeager shows up and kicks them off the campus that, you know, we're starting to plant the seeds here of what is going to become the business idea to make the ghostbusters with that, that statement right there. But here's the thing that I find a little bit weird. I didn't really see Egon taking too many readings. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he's got the PKE meter out and I, you know, they, they, they're brilliant in that they don't go too far into like what that actually does. Right, you don't right. know what the PKE meter does. If he's, if he sat there and said, well, according to my readings, which by the way, show that there was a rift in the dimensional tear and we can, you know, if enough, enough photons are projected that we don't need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, Genius that they don't try to overload you with information. There could have been a huge info dump there about like dark matter and stuff like that, but there isn't. It's just him saying, well, according to my calculations, and then he holds a calculator up. It's like, how would what you show? It's like, did you just write like 80085 on there and flip it upside down? And then, uh, you know. It gives us just enough. At that point, the movie is kind of putting the science to the side for the yeah. sake of the comedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's well, the brilliant thing about this movie is it always puts the science to the side. and says, hey, yeah. just go with us on this. It you says know. just enough. It says the etheric plane. and gives you just enough mm-hmm. to sound flashy and say, hey, if you want to go explore whatever this is, go. Yeah. But we're getting back to the comedy. 
what's so, which is what important and drives it forward. So right. So we leave uh, leave off with Peter considering the monetary potential of mm-hmm. this catching ghosts, as he puts it. I never noticed until my rewatch on it that he calls Egon Spangs. Yeah. I don't think that comes up in the movie at any point again, does it? Uh, I don't know if you hear that again or not. But I love that. Spangs. Spangs, baby. (laughs) Let me ask you something here, Spangs. So real quick, earlier you were telling me that the smash cut from them running out of the library, which is kind of a prolonged shot, to the Columbia campus is a little bit jarring to you. Why is that? Yeah, it's jarring because the music just suddenly Mm -hmm. shifts from the... uh, the bus boys. The bus boys to back to the score. And I mean it is just a hard cut. And yeah. the um establishing shot that we cut to is just kind of strange. It's not it's it's your focal point is just kind of off to the left. It's off center, yeah. Yeah, and it's just um strange that they would have set it up that way. And uh it just always really takes me by surprise mm-hmm. that this first thing you see is uh this static shot of something that is not mid-frame like it would traditionally be and the music is just such a hard cut i don't know it just always it doesn't take me out of it but it definitely catches your attention ghostbusters isn't really a movie known for its cinematography which it should be yes i think it's a very very well shot it's a very well shot movie but there's um sometimes you get to some scenes and it's just kind of like it's there for the scene transition it's more about story and character than it is the actual visual style of the film something you just don't see anymore and um it's it's such a shame. Movies are just so overprimed now, mm-hmm. and I'm I've, it just t- it really takes me out of the story, out of the character to see how fast things are edited these days and how overprimed the visuals are, and it's it's just you just can't make them like you used to, and uh, this is a good example of that. Yeah, it, it it's it's in service of the story and the characters. Mm-hmm. It's that's not in service true. of like how awesome the movie looks or whatever, and it looks fine. And I think that's part of what makes this movie so believable and gives it that edge. You you see a conversation between uh, environmental protection like agency representative talking to a, you know a business owner, and they're two adults having this conversation. The the movie the cinematography is just very static. It's very traditional, very meat and potatoes, and. You just don't get that anymore. Uh, it feels like movies are made for little kids. That, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I could I could ramble on about this all day. <laughs> it's frustrating. All right. We well, got anything else there for minute number twelve? No, just more complaining. <laughs> well, like we said, I think this is a pretty important moment in establishing what yeah. the Ghostbusters are. This is the germination of the seed that will become the the business aspect of the story, which is the backbone of, of what we're what we have here. So, some really good stuff in there, and some really good conversation about it today. So, again, we want to thank you for joining us today for minute number twelve. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with minute number thirteen on Thursday. Thirteen on Thursday. So, uh, if you have anything else. I guess we'll go ahead and bid you adieu. Let's go. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we're here to thank you for joining us and saying, death is but a door, time is but a window. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a supporter, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gbminute. You can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, Instagram at ghostbustersminute, and visit our website at ghostbustersminute.com, where you can find merchandise such as t-shirts, stickers, and free balloons for the kids. Balloons subject to not being free, nor real. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License. (laughs) 